All right, the soothing sounds of seasonal music from DJ Just Another DJ. Yes, the time is 1 p.m. Now, in keeping with our piano theme, we bring you some George Winston. Happy holidays. Christmas tensions building up. Too much to do, too little time. Relax with a Cloud9 tablet. It's the little green pill with hydrobarbophenochlorodiethylmesilicone that can get you through the holiday. I can't take it anymore! It's a holiday known as much for shopping as the birth of the Christ child. Christmas is a mix of the old and the new, of surprisingly recent traditions and history that goes back thousands of years. Welcome to episode 147 of Las Bufins Radio. The Origins of Christmas. That's right. For uh, the next hour, we're going to be exploring uh, some of the origins of this holiday and uh, presenting some uh, music and audio uh, that's not your typical Christmas fare. As somebody who has had to spend a lot of time in a retail environment very recently, uh, I'm really not in the mood to kind of go down all those same dusty roads that your average Christmas station uh, might cover. I know we're not bringing you space rock like we promised, uh, but I do want to thank DJ Just Another DJ for uh, that first hour of music. It was fantastic and uh, just kind of shows that when you're in a pinch, uh, you can call on some people to uh, lend a hand. So sit back with a little eggnog. Dig deep into your pockets. And uh, contemplate the origins of Christmas. Here on Boss Christmas Radio. 
We've all heard the biblical origins of Christmas, but societies have been celebrating light and birth in the darkest days of winter, centuries before Jesus walked the earth. In the Norse country, this winter celebration was known as Yule. Around December 21st, the winter solstice, fathers and sons dragged evergreens indoors as reminders of life and set logs on fire as a promise of good fortune. Between a mirror breaks my heart The moon frayed through dark velvet lightly apart Steals softly through sunshine Steals softly through snow The wild goose flies from winter Breaks my heart that I can't go Energy flies through a field and the sun softly melts a nothing wheel Still softly through sunshine Still softly through snow The black paper between them never breaks my heart that I can't go The swan, the feathers don't grow their spine They live two hundred years of love, they're one Between a mirror breaks my heart that I can't go. Still 
Steal softly through sunshine. Steal softly through snow. Oh, 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 oh. And who's next to sit up on Santa's knee? What's your name, little boy? This is Mark Bell from Thunder Train. What do you got in the bag for me, Pops? <laughs> well, I might have something for you, son, if you've been a good little boy. I've been super now, bad. Come up here and sit on Santa Claus's knee. Let me up there, and fat tell man. Me what you want for Christmas? Yeah, come on. <laughs> Let me up there. Ow! What's that you got in your pocket there, boy? What this? This is my cowbell, Santa. Come on, Santa. Give me what I want. Come on, come on, Santa. You gotta give me what I want. Hey, man, I want a new bike, you know, with a sissy bar and a banana seat. Don't forget those Big Daddy Ed Roth hot rods, man. I want a beatnik bandit, a Fink Eliminator, Mother's Worry. And don't forget Robin Hood Fink and Mr. Gasser. Come on, Santa. Give me what I want. Come on, come on, Santa. its own December festivals. One week before the winter solstice, Romans began celebrating Saturnalia, an orgy of food and drink, in honor of Saturn, the god of agriculture. Some Romans, particularly soldiers and government officials, also worshipped Mithra, the sun god. It is believed that to this small but powerful sect, the birthday of Mithra, December 25th, was the holiest day of the year.
tuned because we'll be bringing you more of the origin of Christmas after these messages. This is DJ Victrola, host of the Guitar Shop, and this is Blasphemous Radio. You're already a fan, you just don't know it. This episode of Blasphemous Radio was brought to you by Nervous Energy, causing young boys to do completely irrational things really late at night since 1835. If you'd like to become a sponsor of Blasphemous Radio, simply contact austinrich at gmail.com and he will answer all of your sponsoring needs. Thank you. Blasphemous Radio Good morning, Portland, and welcome to episode 147 of Blasphemous Radio, simply entitled The Origins of Christmas because we are exploring uh, some of the interesting histories and uh, misleading pasts that uh, this particular holiday uh, has uh, embodied. You've been listening to The First Noel off of uh, this wonderful Andy Serzan uh, compilation of uh, Christmas novelty songs. We we revisit that uh, disc uh, throughout throughout the show. Uh, and then we followed that up with uh, F*** Christmas by Fear, Pulling the Christmas Pig by the Wrong Pair of Ears by The Locust, Steal Softly Through the Snow by Captain Beefheart and his Magic Band, Come On Santa by Mock Bell and his Elves, uh, that's off the Xmas Snerts uh, Gulcher Christmas compilation from quite a few years back, uh, and then we closed that set uh, with Snow Girl by The Billy Mayer Show. I should also mention that most of our uh, incidental samples and whatnot come from uh, the History Channel, of all places, with a little uh, TV broadcast they put together called The History of Christmas. Uh, Don't forget to uh, hit us up on Twitter at BlastFoofmas, or go to the iTunes store, and check check out our website, BlastFoofmasRadio.wordpress.com. There's a lot more show coming up, though, so I'm going to duck out now uh, and uh, let uh, Nick Danger take over this particular part. Enjoy. 
Ho, ho, ho. Let's clench our fists. Ho, ho, ho. Let's grit our lips. And let's get ready for another bone-chilling adventure of Nick Danger, Third Eye. It was the night before Xmas, and all through the house... Not Wait, I thought you lived in your car, Nick. Well, it isn't a house in the conventional sense, Dwight. It's mm. a metaphorical house, like uh, being in the house, like, oh, in the house. Get it? Uh, barely. <clears throat> well, wherever it was, it was certainly quiet. Too quiet. And it was certainly a place where not a creature was stirring, not even your tiniest of mice. And look... These particular mices had stockings hung by their window like they was curtains with care. We hope that St. Nicholas soon will be there. Hey, that really got to me. By St. Nicholas, I figured they meant me. Nick, Nicholas, get it? I get it. I'm not stupid. You've got mice living in your car who worship you. X3! X3! Children nestled all snug in beds! Sugar plum visions dancing heads! X3! Hey, that was sweet, too. What was going on? Something was weird, that's for sure. For instance, there'd been talk all over this tough town that mob boss Rocky Rococo had suddenly reformed. It was a peaceful life now that I was reformed. In fact, Ma Barker in her kerchief and me in my cap had just settled down for a long winter's nap. Come on, girls, get in the sleigh. There arose such a clatter. I get in the sleigh. Rocky sprang from the bed to see what was the matter. I opened the window and threw them a flash, disarmed all the shutters and threw up on the sash. <laughs> I love Xmas. Meanwhile, down at police headquarters, handsomely backlit, Lieutenant Elvin Bradshaw stands at the window peering through his new FBI binoculars. The moon on the breast of the new fallen snow gives the luster of midday to objects below. I was surveilling but in a kind of poetic way, just like I learned in police acting school. And what to his wandering eyes does appear, but a miniature sleigh and eight tiny reindeer. Oh no, this is even worse than my usual hullabaloo's. I saw a little old driver so lively and quick, I knew in a moment it must be Nick. Yeah, Nick Danger, my old three-eyed nemesis. But more rapid than eagles, Nick's courses they came, and Nick whistled and shouted and called them by name. On Smasher, Lap Dancer, on Squasher and Vixen, on Brandy, on Inga, on Blondie, let's blitz them. They were on top of my porch, on the top of my wall. Now dash away, dash away, dash away all. Frankly, I felt like an idiot, but I had to say dash away. It was in the script. And speaking of scripts... I was beginning to wonder about our writers. Hey, Dwight, yeah. where are the writers? Well, okay. in there. Hey, Manny, yeah, take this. As dry leaves that before the wild storm, oh, hurricane. so hurricane fly, when they meet with an obstacle, mount to the sky. Okay, great. Let's go to lunch. Yeah, I'm with you. Beautiful writing, but only fit for mice and small children. We needed action and danger. So up to the housetop, my coursers, they flew with the sleigh full of toys and nick. Dangerous, too. And then in a twinkling I heard on my roof the prancing and pawing of each stiletto hoof. <laughs> As I drew out my rod and was turning around, down the chimney Nick Danger came with a blonde. Oh. All right, hold it right there. When I got to the scene of the crime, I saw Nick Danger. He was dressed all in fur from his head to his foot. Bradshaw, stand back. Hey, Nick, don't you know it's politically incorrect to wear fur? 
Do you know how many ermines died for that suit? Huh? And your clothes are all tarnished with ashes and soot. Oh. But instead of a monkey, a bundle of toys he had flung See? on his back, and he looked like a burglar just opening oh. his pack. He's stealing the place blind. No, 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 no. No, no, Bradshaw, you're wrong. Look, look his eyes, how they twinkled, his cute little dimples, how merry. Look, Al, my cheeks are like roses, my nose like a cherry. Yum, yum. He's got a droll little mouth drawn up like a bow. And the beard on his chitty chin chin is just as white as the snow. Jeez, I'm actually getting old. The stump of a pipe he holds tight in his teeth. <laughs> And the smoke is encircling his head like a wreath. That's it, Nick. What? I got you. What? Smoking's illegal everywhere now, except in Minnesota. Okay, put him out. But hell, what about my broad face and my little round belly that shakes when I laugh like a bowl full of jelly? Yeah, what about it? He's chubby and plump, a right jolly old elf. I gotta lose some weight. And I laughed when I saw him in spite of myself. <laughs> a wink of his eye and a twist of his head. Okay, I took off the cuffs. I had nothing to dread. Nick spoke not a word. For once. But went straight to his work and filled all the stockings that turned. Like a jerk. And laying his finger aside of his nose and giving a nod, up the chimney he rose. I hate chimneys. He sprang to his sleigh, to his deers gave a whistle. And away they all flew, like the down on a thistle. But I heard him exclaim that he drove out of sight. Happy. Christmas to all! And, and to, to all, all a good, good night! night. <laughs> Arms Yeah, with a picture of sleep! 
century AD, pagan traditions were being challenged as Christianity took hold throughout the empire. But Christ's birth date remained a mystery, since the Bible doesn't mention exactly when he was born. Since pagan Rome already celebrated the birth of Mithra on December 25th, it is theorized the church adopted the date as the birth of the Christ child. In the 4th century, the church made it official, declaring December 25th as the feast day of the Nativity. It was a night before Christmas, when all through the house, not a creature was stirred, not even a mouse. My baby came home, asked her where she was. She grinned and said that she was out with old Santa Claus. Something ain't right. Uh-huh. Uh-huh. There's trouble, 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 oh, oh yeah. 
feeling low. I'm waiting for this cat. He said my baby's hot. From what I hear, he's dressed in red. He's coming down my chimney. That's what my baby said. Oh,
Get a Santa Claus. There's only one Santa Claus, and he's an Earth. <laughs> well, I guess that takes care of that. This is a serious matter, Voldar. And desperate problems require desperate deeds. Earth has had Santa Claus long enough. We will bring him to Mars. could not outlaw the pagan traditions of Christmas, so it came to accept them. The evergreens traditionally brought indoors were decorated with apples, symbolizing the Garden of Eden. These apples would eventually become Christmas ornaments. Christmas in jail, Christmas in jail. Had a little too much to drink Ain't got no bail Ain't got no bail And I'm spending New Year's Eve in the clean I was in the wrong lane Feeling no pain Suit my car to 75 Ran right into You can guess who And I say I'm lucky to be alive They're singing down the street While everybody's having Christmas turkey They give me bread and water to eat Christmas in jail 
Christmas in jail Wore my shoes out pacing the floor Got rocks in my head I wish I was dead He gonna drink and drive no more Merry Christmas Happy New Year They're singing down the street While everybody's having Christmas turkey They give me bread and water to eat Christmas in jail Christmas in jail Wore my shoes out pacing the floor Got rocks in my head I wish I was dead Ain't gonna drink and drive no more Ain't gonna drink and drive no more yeah. Ain't gonna drink and drive no more Merry Christmas! Episode 147 The Origins of Christmas Hi I'm, I'm the ghost, ghost of Pabarita And you're listening to Blasphemous Radio with, with Austin, Austin Rich. Rich. Multnomah County's, County's number one, one square, square dancer. dancer. Ears running. Yeah! This episode of Blessed Hoofmas Radio was brought to you by Obsessive Record Collecting. Scouring thrift stores, Goodwill, and the Salvation Army for the last 14 years. If you would like to become a sponsor of Blessed Hoofmas Radio... Simply write an email to austinrich at gmail.com. Thank you. The following message is being brought to you by Blasphemous Radio and the Krampus. This is the Krampus. You are listening to Blasphemous Radio, a feeding ground for sound for all the bad boys and girls of the world. Be assured, I will be paying each and every one of you bad listeners a visit this holiday season. This message has been brought to you by the Krampus, wishing you a safe and happy holiday season. Blasphemous Radio. Oh, it's snowing, and look at the snow come down. I think I'll go out and melt a snowman. Ah, it's so nice to hear April Stevens' voice again. She hasn't been on the show in a while, man. Not since the 90s. Well, anyway, we must uh, move forward. You're listening to Blasphemous Radio with episode 147, The Origins of Christmas. And you've been listening to all sorts of fun stuff, including uh, Jingle Bells by Vel Mares, uh, A St. Nick Dangerous Christmas Eve by the Firesign Theater. It's going to be A Punk Rock Christmas by the Ravers. Don't Believe in Christmas by the Sonics. There's Trouble Brewing by Scott or, excuse me, Jack Scott. Christmas Blues by Washboard Pete. Christmas at the Bayou, uh, that's off that Andy Serzan uh, compilation. And uh, Christmas in Jail by The Youngsters. Uh, a lot of those uh, cuts come from a compilation called Black Christmas, uh, something I received quite a few years ago and uh, is definitely helps me through the holidays. So uh, we're going to be moving the show into uh, some other uh, holidays that are this time of year, uh, and then uh, we're going to continue these uh, 
little excerpts where we uh, dig into the origins of this particular holiday. Don't forget to check us out on Twitter, at Glassfoofmas, or in the iTunes store. Uh, why don't you go in and give us a review of some kind? Uh, it's always uh, very helpful and nice. Keep it locked, because we've got more fun stuff for the holiday season here on the Origins of Christmas. The story of Santa Claus also begins in the 4th century with the death of Nicholas, a beloved Turkish bishop. The anniversary of his death became known as St. Nicholas Day. On December 6th, good children woke to gifts from the kindly saint. Bad children sulked away with nothing. In Holland, he was known as Sinterklaas. 1,500 years later in America, a seminary professor named Clement Clark Moore reimagined the legend of St. Nicholas. In 1822, Moore wrote a poem called The Night Before Christmas about a good-natured saint named Santa Claus who was pulled by a group of reindeer and came down the chimney on Christmas Eve. Like St. Nicholas, Santa Claus spread good cheer and gave gifts to children. Less clear was exactly what this Santa Claus looked like. Then in 1863, Thomas Nast, a cartoonist for Harper's Weekly, settled the matter once and for all with his version of the Christmas Saint. Nast's Santa was rotund and jolly, with a full white beard and a sack full of toys. An American icon was born. It's no wonder that Santa Claus became an irresistible image to America's retailers, forever linking Christmas with shopping. In Judea, the Greco-Syrians tried to force the Jews to renounce their God. They defiled the Jewish temple and its purified oil. Then three years later, the Maccabees drove them out of Israel. And then they lit the menorah with just one day's worth of oil. It would take a full week for more oil to be purified, but it burned, burned, burned. That day's worth of oil for eight full nights. Ah, yes, they lit the menorah with just one day's worth of oil. It would take a full week for more oil to be purified. But it burned, burned, burned. That day's worth of oil for eight full nights. For eight full nights. Shevet Babak Husha. Hey! talk about how there's the Jewish conspiracy and how uh, the Jews run the media and they have all the money and they pretty much dominate the world. No, well, I've heard of it and, uh, you know, well, that would pretty much leave one day of the year when no one else is around to have a whole year of planning of world domination. That's Christmas. Merry Christmas, buddies. It's Christmas Eve and you know I am hardly sleeping.
My name is Adam. I'm a Jewish boy. I'm very neurotic that people are going to get mad at me. I like Jews. I like Christian people. There should be no problem. It's not that funny. <laughs> You just heard We Three Kings of Orient Are by X-Ray Tango. Happy Hanukkah by my good friend, Mr. Paul F. Tompkins. How you doing out there, Paul? We're not really friends. He probably has no idea who I am, and uh, I uh, never met him personally. But I assume, uh, as uh, we are both uh, brethren of the podcasts, that uh, were we to encounter one another on the street at some point in the near future, that uh, we would at least be able to make a uh, nod of some kind of recognition towards each other uh, and uh, convey the fact that we wish no uh, direct malice to each other, at least for the time being. And then we uh, concluded that with uh, what we do on Christmas by Adam and his package. Uh, I don't claim to be his friend at all. But I like him, and uh, I enjoy what he does. So, uh, as you may have noticed, there's a bit of a negative uh, angle or slant, as it were, to this particular broadcast. Uh, You know, the origins of Christmas seem to uh, have... (laughs) borrowed, uh, stolen, hidden, changed, and uh, subverted uh, a lot of other faiths and beliefs, Um, and uh, it really uh, makes it difficult sometimes for a person to get into the holiday spirit. Um, And uh, when you kind of like, you know, layer all of this in a sheen of religion, it makes it particularly difficult to... uh, want to throw a smile on your face when you uh, hear someone say Merry Christmas. Uh, however, I, I recently uh, heard something that I'd like to share with you that I think uh, not only uh, you know reignites my, uh, my passion and my uh, wonder uh, with regard to the world around me, but uh, also I think really kind of summarizes the best way that we can look at this time of year uh, and still feel good about it. I turn things now over to uh, yet another friend and colleague, Robert Krolwich. Way back when he was just 17 years old, and this was years and years before he became a literature professor at Harvard and author of the bestseller Will in the World about Shakespeare, Stephen Greenblatt was standing in his college bookstore. His exams were over, the summer beckoned, and as he looks around... Uh, something catches my eye. There, sitting in a bin, was a little book. It was for sale for 10 cents. Yeah, but the thing that got his attention was the cover. Exactly. It showed two pairs of naked legs intertwined. In what appears uh, to be uh, an intimate position. The title, on the other hand, looked kind of straight. On the Nature of Things by some ancient Roman named Lucretius. But because of the cover... I bought it. And when he opened it, it started with a hymn or a poem. About how in the spring all animals are excited with the impulse to regenerate. Um, anyway, it goes on. This is on getting good then, right? Yeah, it, gets, it goes on in this really wonderful and 
powerful thing. But when the poem ends and the book takes a turn to science and starts to describe how the world is put together, then Stephen was totally wowed. My jaw dropped. But why? What did he say? Well, what he, what he says is that the world doesn't need any creator. The universe is made up out of an infinite number of atoms. And people and dogs, rocks, stars, everything is made from the same stuff. So humans are not special. We don't have souls, and if we do, when we die... The soul would dissolve as well, uh, so that there would be no, absolutely no afterlife. No heaven, no hell, just random collections of atoms clumping together over vast spells of time. And emptiness, void, and nothing else. Wow. Wh when did Lucretius write this? More than 2,000 years ago. Wh what do you know about him? Zilch, nada, virtually. Only that he lived in Rome and that this book of his? is the only one. But in its day, this poem was quite famous. Fifty years before Jesus, many Romans probably had copies of Lucretius in their libraries. Then comes the rise of the Christian church. When church fathers read this poem, they thought, What? Where is our story? Where were the angels? Where were the demons? Where was Jesus Christ? That world didn't have room any longer for a vision of atoms and emptiness and nothing else. So Lucretius basically goes underground, disappears. His books made of papyrus get lost, get eaten by insects. So what was once a fairly widespread text becomes much less uh, familiar and then less familiar and less familiar until, in the case of Lucretius, it, it, they might have been reduced to something like two, three copies, let's imagine, in existence. So if this poem, with all its novel ideas, is going to make it through to the Renaissance, it would have to be hand-copied by monks in monasteries every few hundred years. So the book is now hanging by a thread. Absolute thread. Uh, and then it just depends. It's a, pure, it's a pure matter of accident because no one at this point is interested in keeping it alive any more than... Well, let's have our accident. Let's, let's have our accident. Who else? Poggio Bracciolini. I don't know how, is that how you say it. That is Poggio Bracciolini. You can Poggio think of Bracciolini. Silvia Poggioli uh, and just shorten it to <laughs> you Poggio are a public Bracciolini. Radio type, aren't you? Uh, of course. <laughs> so uh, there are a group of people, let's say around the year 1400. And one of them is Poggio Bracciolini, who lived near Florence. He was a poor kid. He came with, he says, five pennies in his pocket to Florence. But he has a peculiar gift which is that he has fantastically good handwriting. And that gift got him his jobs with the Pope. That's where the money is. And that's where the intrigue and the corruption and the violence are. At one point, Poggio gets into a fight with another secretary and he tries to gouge out his eye. Well, the other guy was holding his testicles at the time. I mean, they were having a fight. <laughs> they all hated each other. This sounds awful. And so it was a good place to lose your soul, as it were. But on his bad days, and he had a lot of them, Poggio had a way to escape. He would imagine beautiful, elegant, classic works from ancient Rome, filled with noble thoughts, lost books, waiting somewhere to be rescued. And he had this desire, says Steve, to find those lost books. And so Poggio, in his spare time, he became a book hunter. And in the winter of 1417, he has time on his hands. So he heads off to Germany, where there are still monasteries, ancient monasteries, with libraries that hadn't been searched yet. And then one day he finds himself somewhere. We don't, he, I think it was Fulda. In Germany and he in effect knocks on the monastery door and he asks for entry. And he goes into the library and he finds it. Our book. It's around. completely random. He hasn't a clue what he's going to find. But somehow after a thousand years against all odds sitting on a shelf, here it is on the nature of things.
and he must have recognized the name. Because Poggio immediately ordered a copy made and then made another in his beautiful handwriting. And he sent it back to a friend of his, Niccolo Niccoli, and that act of making a copy of the copy of the copy of the copy brought it back to life. First, it was passed very, very quietly to certain households in Florence. Then it shows up in Bologna and then in Paris. And people begin to talk of universes emerging from atoms, wondering what if that were possible. It's not possible, says the church, and the book is banned, first in schools and then in Florence. But Machiavelli, in his own hand, makes himself a private copy. And now Shakespeare notices, and then Montaigne in France writes essay after essay about Lucretius. Moliere did a translation. And Thomas Jefferson had five copies of Lucretius in his library. They, all of them, borrowed from Lucretius, this radically secular thinker. Though his poem is now more than 2,000 years old, even today. It's dangerous. It's radioactive. It's dangerous to touch it. It describes a universe with no author and no purpose, but of such exquisite complexity. It's unbelievably beautiful. It's written in just magnificent poetry. That says even if there is no heaven and no loving God, no design, no reason for us to be here, as painful as that may seem, says Lucretius, look around. What is here is more than good. It's amazing and it's beautiful. I think that there is a deep truth to that perception. And I think that what Lucretius offers still after 2,000 years, more than 2,000 years, is an incentive to take this news not as pain, but as pleasure, not as disillusionment, but as wonder. When the mountain touches the valley, all the clouds are taught to fly. Thus our souls shall leave this land most peacefully. Sweet and final hour, truth and justice will be done. Like a baby when it is sleeping in its loving mother's arms. What a newborn baby dreams is a mystery. A mystery. Happy Holidays from Blasphemous Radio. Hopefully you found the origins of Christmas enlightening. Stay tuned. Another podcast next week with more Christmas shenanigans. Blasphemous Radio. WordPress.
www.thepodcastmusicalmusicalmusicalmusicalmusicalmusicalmusicalmusicalmusicalmusicalmusicalmusicalmusicalmusicalmusicalmusicalmusicalmusicalmusicalmusicalmusicalmusicalmusicalm
Mustang. Blasphemous Radio